of us know that we are going to die, but we don't act like we know we are yeah. going to die. If you know that you are going to die tomorrow, you won't do what you are doing today. Just make sure if you die tomorrow, you have no regrets. It's a very cliche thing to say, but I think that's how we all really should live our life. This is Akif. This is Steven. Join us as we seek the dreamers and doers. Discover the extraordinary. And share the inspiring stories of people who are pursuing their passions. And chasing their dreams. Welcome to the Sakif and Steven Show. Good evening, listeners. With us today, we have a very special guest. We have Suzanne Ling. Hello. Uh, one of the three founders of the Picha Project. And yeah, we're just sitting here in a very cozy little cafe. Uh, I'll cut right to the chase. Suzanne, yeah. you can maybe just begin with just giving us an overview mm-hmm. of the Picha Project okay. and kind of telling us the catalyst behind it. Why this cause in particular okay. and how do you get started? So, um, I'm Suzanne from the Petra Project and we are an impact-driven enterprise where we do a food delivery and catering service but all our chefs are refugees in Malaysia. So, um, how did we end up doing this is actually back in 2013, uh, me and my partners, we were still in school, in university and we just wanted to volunteer our time to do something. So um, at that time, we know that there's a refugee school near our university and we just started teaching there. Um, We were teaching English, music and so on. But after teaching for half a year, we realized that the refugee school is um, having financial issue. So we decided to do a fundraising concert. And after a year, we did another fundraising concert and that's where we realized that raising funds is very hard and um, it's not sustainable. And another main reason that made us start this business was that um, our students kept dropping out from school in the mid of 2015 and we were really curious what was happening. So we um, visited them in their house to find out what happened and that's where we realized that these refugee children are all struggling financially. So their parents don't have enough money, so the kids have to end up working at the age of like 13, 14. Um, which to us is something that shouldn't be happening, because 13, 14 we are all in school, we are yeah. studying, we don't even care about money. But for them to work at such age, we think that it's just um, not the right thing. Lah. Um, so at that time we know that the refugee community are struggling financially and we knew that we have to come up with some, something sustainable that helps the community. Uh, which means we need to start a business. And at that time, we also graduated, so we needed a job. So if we don't earn money, our parents will kill us. So so we have to find a way that sustain both sides. And the idea came when my partner Kim just um, thought, like, they can cook food and everyone needs to eat. So why not we try to find... um, find a way to link these two together. So we started with one Burmese family and she cooked some food and we just like put it together, Google what to do and um, I went to university, forced my friends to buy it, literally forced them and like, hey you need to eat right, why don't buy from us instead of the restaurant out there. Uh, Thankfully our friends uh, bought it and to our surprise they really liked the food. So after buying for the first time, um, they came back, second time, third time, fourth time. And after doing that for four months, uh, we realized that, hey, it can actually become a business. So um, at that time, I graduated from uni and um, we got into uh, an accelerator program that trains new social enterprise that doesn't know what they are doing. So we Mm -hmm. didn't know what we were doing. Um, I think we were earning a, a few hundred ringgit that that was just like enough to buy ice cream and things like that. So very, very little. So we signed up for the program and we got shortlisted and got selected in the end. So that's where we made the decision to jump into this full-time 
because okay. the program is a full-time training. So for me, I graduated, so not a big issue for me, but for my two partners, they are working. So they actually took the risk to quit their job and jump into this full-time. Okay. So um, after the four months of training, throughout the four months, we just tried our best to push the business. And by the time we finished the course in four months, we were already running as a business. So that's like no way out of it. <laughs> but yeah. it, was, it was good because um, by the time we are out, I think we already had about six families with us. And we were already profitable by the end of four months. So that's how it started. And um, the reason why we are named the Picha Project is um, the first family who joined us, her son's name is actually Picha. And when we needed to find a name for the company, we wanted something that has a meaning behind it. And yeah. we thought to name after him because he's an extremely bright boy and it's very sad to know that he will have a very different future than all of us just because he's a refugee. So naming the company after him is like a reminder to us that um, we started this business for his family and we will continue to be around and grow for the people. Right. So, so that's the whole idea behind the Picha project. How old yes. is how old is Picha right now? Two. Oh no, wait. Sorry, <laughs> Picha the boy. Sorry, the boy. <laughs> the boy is five. The okay. business is two. <laughs> yeah, and he knows Ooh. that the business is named after him, but he doesn't really care. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, and the family is still cooking for you guys. Yeah, they are still nice. with us. Nice. nice, amazing. Uh, how many people? How many families are you serving right now? Now we have ten. 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 Yes. Where from? Um, 10 families from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Myanmar, and Palestine. Wow. Yeah, so we have food from different countries. Just really curious about you know, how the food is prepared. Like, mm. like the whole process behind it. They're all staying in different places, yes. the families. Mm. And you're catering to multiple uh, companies yes. and clients at mm. the time. So, yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. Yeah? Alright, so the thing, in, uh, the thing about refugees in Malaysia is they don't have like, a refugee camp. So all of them have to rent their own house, um, a small a small flat unit that they need yeah. to rent. And all our 10 families all live in different places. So our business model is that all the families cook from home and everything after cooking, we will handle it. So we will manage the delivery, we will do the customer service, we will make sure the food reach there and so on. And how does it happen now is that we do the marketing, we get the clients, we get the order, and we will tell the family um, that like in two days you need to cook chicken mandi, you need to cook chicken biryani, and at a specific time our runner will turn up to pick it up and send it to the client. So logistic is still quite a nightmare, but yeah. but we are so far things are under control. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's the capacity you guys can handle? We have ten families. Each family can cook two hundred packs a day. Okay. Yeah. On our side, uh, the biggest skill that we have done was actually just a few days back, uh, during International Women's Day, we served about 800 packs in a day in four different places. So we, we just split up. Must have been hectic. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was quite a crazy day, but it was good. But for like pack meals, we yeah. have served, the highest that we have served was 1,200 people, but for three meals, like breakfast, lunch, tea break okay. in a day. So, and so it's varied from like the different families. Yes, and, so yeah. um, just imagine for a 1,200 packet, you have uh, 20 from Syria. Oh, sorry, no, 200 from Syria, 200 from Afghanistan, yeah. 200 from different countries. Yeah, nice. From what we know now, you have more than 50,000 meals served and yeah. uh, more than 500,000 ringgit value given back. Yes. How did you start from scratch into where you are now? Um, in two years. Yeah. Yeah, like for more yeah. than two years. So uh, last year we made uh, we we crossed our one million ringgit revenue mark, 
So, um, how did we get there? <laughs> a lot of work. Let us sink in. I think in one and a half year, because the first half a year was like an experimentation phase, sure. so we didn't really make a lot of money from that. But in one and a half year, how did we make one million was... Um, we really push it very hard. Like we 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 had a very clear direction that we want to build this as a business. So even though our main aim is to empower the community, we still need to run it as a business. So we push it as a business, we keep our standard up as a business, we do customer service as a business and we never go for like the charity angle. So okay. we want our client to buy our food because they love the food, not because they just want to help. I mean we we know that our clients um, buy our food because they want to give back, but giving back, I mean, buying food from us just to give back won't be sustainable. Yeah. You can give back a few times, but if the food sucks, then like, what's the point of right. coming back? Because they are all corporate clients. So we make sure our food is so good that the corporate clients come back no matter they want to do good or not. Mm-hmm. And um, we, yeah, we just try to, and we, we are quite strict to ourselves to keep the standard up. And if, let's say, we screw up any order, we will own the mistake, we will be responsible, we will give yeah. a, uh, we will, we will return back the money. So we, we run as a business. Uh, I guess okay. that's why, that's why the growth. And also we have a lot of um, people who really believe in us, a lot of mentors, a lot of corporate clients, a lot of um, advisor who has mm-hmm. been with us along the way. So the three of us have zero business background. And we have zero F&B background, like zero yeah. background in running Picha basically. But what we did was we, um, I think we really, um, we were, we are very open to learning and we made it a point that we know we don't know everything. So we just keep asking people when yeah. we are stuck. So let's say we are stuck with sales, we talk to people who we know can um, give us some advice and that person will give us like advice A to Z out of all the advice, we will actually act on it immediately. So let's say you advise us to do ABC, we will go back and try ABC and see what works and what doesn't. So the, those that work, we continue doing it. Those yep. that doesn't work, we just stop. And then mm-hmm. when we are stuck again, we ask again and they give us another ABC to do. And then yeah. um, I think what made the change was we really do it immediately when yeah. we are stuck. And we just keep doing that. Lah. So a lot of ideas actually didn't come from us. It comes from people around us. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it, it's... Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work and you know we were talking earlier it's three of you mm. uh, the three founders and now you have three more staff yeah. uh, that's six and you mm. know this is a lot of caring you're doing every day mm. uh, new clients coming in every day yeah. how do you how do you manage this sourcing for leads uh, for the clients uh, getting new clients mm-hmm. and at the same time also trying to grow your uh, the base of people cooking for you yeah I think right now the team we handle like marketing, getting new clients, customer service, taking care of the family and um, it's a lot of things to do but but I guess that's that's what happens in every startup. <laughs> you just have to do it. Yeah. So I think we, we hustle we really hustle and we um, we don't do nine to five, so we do OT and all that. We work all the time and we have a team that is um, very dedicated to Okay. To no. strive as well, yeah. So how do we do that? Just do it. <laughs> I don't know. I cannot answer that question. <laughs> when you approach the 
beneficiaries mm. were they receptive receptive to your business ideas in the first place so what were their initial reactions the how families the families, the families yeah. okay for the families right um, a lot of them are when we found them they are at a state where they are quite desperate for a job because okay. um, they are really not covering their uh, monthly expenses so a lot of families are actually very receptive like they will say that okay i want to be in this uh, pr project i want to be part of this but i think what what is the challenge is that um working with the families is not like it's not like oh i'm your boss now you cook for me and i give you right. money but it's more like a whole because it doesn't work that way if you work if, if that's what we do they will see us as a transaction point instead of a social enterprise that is trying to empower them. It's, it's not empowering, it's just giving money. So that's really not what we want to do. That's why we, we build very close relationship with the families. So let's say after we find uh, one family who can cope, we don't immediately take them in. We will actually try working with them for three months first to see how's the attitude like, whether they are uh, they are okay to be part of the team because they cannot see other families as a competitor. Um, Picha grows, grow, Picha grow together with ten families all together as collaborators. So we are, we grow as a team. We can't have our Syrian family fighting with our Afghan family for sales, and yeah, that definitely. we need to make them understand. So that's our value. Our value is we build Picha together, even within the kitchens. There is no competition. So right now we are very thankful that all ten of our families they really see Picha as a whole big family, and they help right. each other out they won't um, fight with one another and uh, if there are families who do not align with our value then these are the families that unfortunately cannot be part of Picha yeah, because that's our value totally random on Instagram I saw some posts or maybe it was Facebook I can't remember yeah. you guys had a Picha day out with all the families yes. <laughs> that was really cool we always have that what so, was that about? Um, so every three months we bring all the families out to play so um, <laughs> We try to do different things every every time, but then they always want the same thing. So they want to swim and BBQ together. So okay. the kids jump into the pool. The adults will, will do their you know chicken and all that stuff. Yeah. So we have been to uh, a friend's house who has a pool. We have been to waterfall. And uh, we do this every three months because, again, like what I mentioned, we want to build a community yeah. and we want them to know one another. Mm-hmm. So every time we have a picture gathering, it's very heartwarming to see all these people from different countries yeah. coming together they don't even know each other's language but somehow they become friends especially the kids so the kids let's say our Palestinian kid and the Iraqi kids start playing together they will actually speak in English because they didn't okay. know each other was, they didn't know like where they are from which is right. the amazing thing because yeah. you don't care where are they from you just play together yeah. and then when we tell them hey actually your both seats are bigger then they will <laughs> they will be very happy then they will start speaking in Arabic it, it it's like finding the old family like that. Mm-hmm. So the the great thing is right now all the families are very close and when something happened to one family, the other families will want to help out. So we have one family who like fell sick and the other family all visited him in the hospital and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's like a mini version of world peace that we see in Picha. Right. Where yeah. different religion and different, you know, different um belief different religious groups like yeah. Shia, Sunni like nobody look at that everyone just come together uh, yeah. yeah I guess there's always this misconception about yeah. social businesses being mm-hmm. not for profits and mm. how do you guys try to deal with that you know with people saying like hey why don't you guys giving back the money yeah, to the community you, correct, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah so we, we do get that a lot um, 
because I think social entrepreneurship is still quite a new thing to a lot of people. Um, because I think to the mass, doing good means you don't you don't earn from it. Like you just give and sacrifice. But yeah. again, this kind of sacrifice is not sustainable. Let's exactly. say today I can survive by with a thousand five hundred ringgit, but. Let's say one day um, I want to start a family, I want to buy a car, then I will have to quit the social enterprise because that's not supporting my like my needs anymore. So we don't want that to happen, which is why we, as venture, we want to build this as a business because that's how we ensure that our team get a pay raise. So our team cannot work with us forever, like sacrificing their whole, own life because they can sacrifice for two years, they cannot sacrifice for 10 years. And we don't want that to happen. So we want to make sure that our business grow and we have profit so that um, our team can grow as well. And the profit actually um, is, um, the profit will stay in the company as something that we can use to reinvest in things next time. Let's say yeah. we want to start a new um, business line or we want to do anything. We don't need to look for funding because we have the money ourselves. And also because we... We have a very strong social cause, which is why we are quite careful with investors as well, because we want to make sure that um, it goes towards the direction where making an impact is still the main focus. So when you started out, you guys received funding from... We got a grant. We got a grant from Magic, Malaysian Global Innovative and Creativity Center. So they train startups, social enterprises and so on. Well, on that point, like just like you're talking about future plans and stuff. Mm, yeah. So, what are your future plans? What's future plans? Okay, mm. we we have big future plans. So, um, a short term future plan is that in this year, um, in this year we wanna hit thirty families, and we wanna expand on our on shelf product so that it can be exported next time, and then we also start having pop up and kiosks so that people can buy food immediately instead of like you know waiting for two days deliver yeah. over. So that's the plan for this year. But in five years, we we have um, we have plans to have our own centralized kitchen, and then to start doing frozen food to be exported because their food is really good. Like the hummus, falafel, dumplings can oh all be gosh. frozen. And we have to come back. Like yes, please <laughs> try that. I think, yeah. yeah, I think once you try it, once you will buy the frozen food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it's very good. People people really like um, the dumplings. They call it the legendary dumplings, mm-hmm. and. Um, like we didn't call it the legendary dumplings ourselves, our clients call call it. And then, um, so that's one thing we can work on frozen food. We can go into um, maybe not retail. I'm not sure about the retail part, but then we can. There's a lot more lah. But Picha will be a food brand. Okay. Will be a food brand, and we can expand to anything as long as it's food related. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. even yeah. a restaurant maybe one day. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who knows, and right? and the big the big big end goal is to replicate picha model in different countries. So we want to work out like a clear blueprint behind the picha project, so that you know, let's say let's say today the Syrian war stops, and our Syrian family can just bring picha back to their country and start running it herself. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And when they go back to Myanmar, they can bring the business model back to Myanmar. So that's actually the the ultimate end goal. We want them to know how to run a business and they can just run their own picha wherever they go. Or even if they get resettled to US, Europe, they can run a business. Um, how much of the revenue goes back to the families who prepare the food and what are the impact this income has been making on the lives of the beneficiaries? Mm. 
Okay, so um, out of 100% of the sales, 50% goes back to them. Mm-hmm. So 50% goes back to the family where they cover the ingredient cost and the rest will be their profit. So they are actually entrepreneurs themselves, you know, running their yeah. own food business and we are like their clients. Right. So they need to do their own like costing, uh, finances and so on. So 50% goes back to them and another 50% comes to us where we cover packaging, delivery, um, manpower, operation, marketing, Anything else that is not the cooking is on us mm-hmm. because we can't cook. <laughs> yeah, so that's how we do our financial distribution. Okay. Mm. And so far, um, each family are able to earn at, at least uh, an average of two to three thousand per month profit. Yeah? Oh wow! Okay. So they can get about two to three thousand a month of profit, and that can cover their basic expenses of rental, food, school, transportation, electrical bill, water bill. So for every family that we have, we know what's their expenses like. And according to different family size and all that, we actually have to control their sales on the back end. So for example, for example, our Syrian family has very high sales and for example, our Myanmar family has low sales. So on, on my side, as the person managing the back end, I will need to manage the sales. So like, let's say you want to order from the Syrian family, but she is already uh, earning enough, I will recommend you to go for the Burmese one. So I will have to do that uh, with, yeah. my, with my team. You must have faced a lot of challenges while mm. working on this for two years. Mm. Uh, can you share with us some of the challenges? How did you overcome this? Some of the challenges. I think, I think <laughs> yeah, too many challenges. everything is a problem. <laughs> but, but honestly, like the whole startup journey, um, yeah, a social enterprise is also a startup. So we mm-hmm. face all the usual challenge, like no sales, no client. Then yeah. when you have client, your ops is a mess. And when the ops is stable, then uh, there's not enough supply. So all these, all these are the very boring technical stuff. But I think um, some of the different challenges that um, Picha has that other startups might not have is the whole... Um, the human problems behind yeah. it's, it's not a human problem but because we work with people and we are a people business so there's a lot of things behind that is not um, that can't be easily solved with like a solution so for example um, family issues among the refugee family like like the mom works super hard but the husband doesn't work and the husband just keep getting money from the wife so these are problems that we don't have a solution like we can talk to the family, we can talk to the husband, but if they don't change and and there's like no solution. And that itself will also affect the food quality, which affects the business in the end. And there's a lot of, when there's humans, there's conflict, like um, conflict with the families, conflict with the team, or um, the vision is not aligned. So I think what is the tougher are all these human problems because it's harder to solve. So I guess that's one of the, more more heartbreaking challenges that we have that we are still figuring things out <laughs> even right now yeah and and just like one thing just happened after another like one one issue is solved another issue will pop up like um, a family's father has heart condition and needs to go to the hospital and then once that is settled another daughter is sick and then another person is sick that's just like non-stop human issues yeah, but, but again, this is why we started the Picha project, so we have to stick through all this together yeah. with the families. Yeah. Well, on that note, like, I guess we're all humans. Uh, yep. Has there ever been a point where you just... Want to give up? felt like giving up, <laughs> like, like, I'm done with this, I need a break. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. um, but right now, things are... Not right now, uh, I won't say things are better, but right now, we are, we are 
taking it uh, better. So especially when we first started, there's a lot of questioning, especially when we are... Uh, if you have never done catering, you might not understand how tiring it is. But catering is very tiring. Yeah. So when, imagine like two girls doing catering and then we have to carry all the porcelain plates and, um, you know, rice for a hundred pack is very tiring. So every time we are physically tired, we will ask ourselves, like, why are we doing this? And we are all sweaty, covered with curry and things like that. So it's very easy for us to question ourselves, why are we doing this when we can, we can go for a corporate job when we can just sit comfortably in the office instead of running around doing this when we can you know rest earlier instead of thinking about how to help this family the next day so all this time we will question ourselves like why are we doing this i don't want to do this anymore but again i think our the why behind the business was strong enough to pull us back. Yeah. <laughs> so every time we question ourselves we answer ourselves okay we need to do this and then we just continue yeah. but Honestly, there were a lot of moments, but if you ask us now if, if there's any regrets, all three of us will answer that we will have no regrets. And we know very clearly if this business fails, we will start again. Like we will start something else if this fails. So we are quite clear in that. Huh? Yeah. Well, I guess it's the everyday differences you're making to all these families that's keeping you guys going. Yeah, I think we... Um, okay, but again, we have to be very careful. Um, how do I put this... If I'm doing this so that um, the families get help and they thank me and I feel good about myself, then that is very, very dangerous. Because right. honestly, when you start working with community, that is not what's going to happen because everyone is a human. So humans will eventually take things for granted. Humans will eventually make mistakes. Humans will eventually hurt your feelings. So even in this short span of two years, we have been hurt multiple times by our own families who actually love us a lot. Mm. So Petra families do love us. They see us as a family, but but as I mentioned, humans do sometimes yeah. say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or take the wrong action. And that hurts us the most out of everything. But uh, we know that we are doing this so that the whole community life can be improved. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, that's why we are doing this. Would you mind sharing with us uh, would you mind sharing with us what's the most impactful story they've come across? Like having mm. worked with this, uh, with the families, the beneficiaries over the mm. past two years. We, we talk about this story all the time in uh, all of our interview because it is that impactful. So we have a Syrian chef named Zaza who was with us since the beginning of the Child Project. And um, he is not just another random chef. She, he, really, he really took Pichar as his own business and he really... Um, put his heart and soul into it. So he cooked very well, he treat our clients very well, he loves us very much, we love him very much. So we have a very strong uh, relationship with him and his family. Um, and he is extremely giving, even though he's not rich. So he will make sure to cook extra food to give to people around him. He will always feed his guard, his cleaners and all that. So what happened was in um, February last year, he actually fell very sick and he went into the emergency ward and after that in three months he passed away so it was very sudden and it was it was very shocking and it was just very heartbreaking so we lost we lost a chef who is not just a chef who's also a very good friend who is also someone very important in Picha and I think what was most impactful was that before he passed away just two weeks before he passed away he actually uh, he he was on his hospital bed and he actually made his wife like take out a 
paper and pen and wrote down a Ramadan menu for us, even though he was super sick. So he was very sick and he was telling me and the wife that, hey, Ramadan is coming, you need a Ramadan menu. Then he's like, calling his wife to write this down. You put in dates, you put in this rice, this dessert, blah, 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 blah. And this is your Ramadan set. And then he was um, saying that, okay, Ramadan, you do this, you do that. And after that, he even said that uh, when he's out of the hospital, he wants to actually cook chicken mandi and give it out to people uh, on the street. And he specifically highlighted that he wanted to do this under Picha's name, not his name, because that's how he wanted to give back. So that was two weeks before he passed away. And... And I think it just amazed us a lot that even though he is a refugee and he has lost so much and he is now on the hospital bed and he is still thinking about us and thinking about the people out there. So I think that itself really made us realize if someone like Zaza can make a change and think about other people despite all these circumstances, we really don't have any excuse to do not do anything. And which is why sometimes it's very um, frustrating to see people who have everything and still think that they don't have enough. And it's very frustrating to see people who has everything and still complain about, you know, the tiniest thing. Lah. So, um, but again, a lot of people do not have, I would say they do not have the privilege to meet people like Zaza before. So they might not realize how fragile and how important life is. So, so I was just sharing with uh, Sakif earlier, I just scolded a bunch of university students because they were just wasting their time and their life. So I was telling them, you probably haven't lost, uh, haven't lost anyone around you to make you realize that you can die tomorrow. I know everyone, all of us know that we are going to die, but we don't act like we know we are yeah. going to die. And because if you know that you are going to die tomorrow, you won't do what you are doing today. And and so yeah, that's why I scolded them. Because we lost Zaza and we really learned this lesson. And um, and yeah, don't, don't waste your life. <laughs> Just make sure if you die tomorrow, you have no regrets. Very, it's a very cliche thing to say, but I think that's how we all really should live our life. Most of our listeners are based in Singapore. Yep. And uh, the Picha Project is based in Kuala Lumpur. Yes. And uh, if... Our listeners wants to contribute in any other way, mm. or any Singaporeans would like to contribute yes. anyway. Since so far away, how could they possibly do to help the families or help mm. the picture project? Okay. It's not too far away, it's just a <laughs> flight away. <laughs> so you can take a flight, it's 50 minutes. <laughs> the, the ticket is probably 100 sing, I guess. I'm not sure. Asia, T4, quite complicated. <laughs> but really, if you, if you want to see it yourself, um, do fly over. I don't think it's too much of, the, of money. Come over, meet the families, have a meal with them. And from there, I think um, you should figure out what you can do. Because we always believe that um, there's this line that I always um, tell people, um, which is something that I think, I'm not sure if you remember, but me and Sakif uh, attended a conference together and that's the line that I heard from the conference. It's um, someone said, how can you be you and make a change? So he kept asking this question, which, which stuck with me forever. He kept saying, how can you be you and make a change in this world? Yeah. Because... Because we always think that uh, we cannot make a change because uh, I'm not like Mother Teresa, I'm not like Nelson Mandela and all this stuff. Like we give ourselves all kind of excuse, but actually making a change come from whatever you are good at. You know, like our refugee families can cook. So through cooking, they change their own life and they change other people's life. And like I talk, so I talk. <laughs> so it's like, how, how do you do what you are best at and make a change? So if you, if you are... Um, 
if you think that you care for certain social issue, doesn't have to be refugees, yeah. anything under the sky. So the first question to ask yourself is, what do you have like in your own hands? And with that, how can you do something? So I think that's exactly how Picha started. We asked ourselves, what do we have? We have a family who can cook and we have friends who need food. <laughs> so that's how we started the business. Because if we don't ask ourselves, what do we have? We will start asking, what do we need? And if we don't get what we need, we will never start anything. So, so I think yeah, we just start with whatever we have. And I, I really believe that as long as you do the right thing and you keep working hard for it, things will happen and things will turn out well somehow. Let's just take a step back and talk about your family for a bit. My, my own family. Your own yeah, family, yes. Family. <laughs> your own family. It's confused. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, as a fresh like, grad <laughs> to start, you know, to go into like a business like this, yeah. completely unknown, yeah. it can be something hard to take uh, as a parent. Yes. Um, <laughs> so how did your family support you throughout this journey? Mm. When I first started, I was actually in my last semester uh, of university, so my parents were quite chill about it because they thought it's a side project. <laughs> so after I graduated, uh, there's this one day we were having dinner and my dad asked me, so what are you going to do full time now? Then I'm like... I'm like, I'm running this business now. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then, and then he, I'm not kidding, he really smacked the table. Uh, not very dramatic, uh, but he smacked the table. And then he's like, what? You graduated and now you want to run a food business? Like, with the refugees? And then I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I know what my dad was thinking. Because before Picha started, my plan has always been to go for a master's and do clinical psychology. So I just told my dad, oh, don't worry, I will do my clinical psychology. So he's like, okay, okay, maybe this is like a transition business, yeah. you know, just in between degree and master's. But in the end, the master's never happened. Uh. So, <laughs> so um, initially, my parents were just thinking that it's a, it's a maybe one or two years thing. Yeah. But eventually, I think my parents also got convinced because they saw the impact and they met the families and um, they started being very supportive and uh, right now they are like really completely supportive. So actually when Zaza got sick, he had to transfer from one hospital to another and on that day, I really couldn't fetch him. I mean, I couldn't fetch Zaza because we have three caterings going on and my dad was the one who transferred him. So my dad was with Zaza for the whole day, helping him with, you know, the process to to um, um, get from one hospital to yeah. another. And then all the paperwork, all the deposit, my dad settled all that for me. So that really showed how how supportive he is, yeah. um, not towards like the daughter, but towards the cause itself. And my partner's parents, Sweden's parents, actually just accepted recently after two years. So it took her two years to for the mom to believe in what she do. And this Chinese New Year, the mom actually, how we know the mom finally accepted was this Chinese New Year, the mom texted her and said, hey, bring the family back for Chinese New Year. And we are like, oh no, cry. <laughs> so our Syrian family and Iraqi family actually went back to Malacca with Sweden to celebrate Chinese New Year with wow. her family. So that Sweet. itself was like, whoa, finally, like after two yeah. years. So yeah, not easy, <laughs> but, but it was okay. Yeah. But I think typical parents, right, when they see their kids on the newspaper, they are very happy. <laughs> so, so recently, my dad just told me, hey, you don't need to study anymore. You are a businesswoman. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah, it's great that you guys, uh, yeah. the word is getting out about mm. what you guys are doing and the impact you guys are creating. Well, thank you, Suzanne. No uh, I'm honestly, I'm always humbled by like the stuff you do. Thank uh, you. I'm so glad I met you in Hong Kong. Yeah, keep doing this. Keep inspiring everyone. Uh, 
and hopefully we will go back and we we'll try to contribute in our own ways. Yep, you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thank you. Thank okay, you. Okay, no problem. Thank you.